Hello, this is Patrick Don Vito. I'm a film editor and proprietor of FilmEditing.com. This is the second podcast. I'm sorry I've been away for a while. I've been trying to figure out my recording setup and, and getting everything just right and uh, talking to people about interviews. And so this is our, this is our first interview that we're going to do here. I've got Dave Clark here with us today. Hello. Dave is an assistant editor, and you'll recognize some of the credits because they're mine as well. Without a Paddle, Welcome to Mooseport, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, National Security, Saving Silverman, the first two Austin Powers films. Um, and there's a link for his credits on the blog page. If you go to filmediting.com, you'll see a link uh, in there for Dave's credits. And Dave is also a writer who's written spec TV, spec uh, film scripts, and also has had some scripts optioned and some things produced. So we'll talk to him about that as well. So Dave, how's it going? Good. I should point out that we have the same credits, not because I hired you, but because you hired me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. Um, We have worked together for a while. I guess it's just kind of, it's been lucky. (laughs) Thank you for letting me be your first interview on this maiden voyage into (laughs) podcast waters, I guess. Uh, Hopefully I'm not the uh, iceberg in your Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think so. I mean, this is... This is all new to me, so uh, it's just going to be fun to talk to people and uh, have conversations about film and where everyone grew up and how they got started. Uh, so let's start there, Dave. Uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New York, actually. Um, New York's a big state, so not Manhattan. Upstate New York, like near the Albany area. It's actually a little town. It's not so little anymore, but Clifton Park. Uh, I was born in Ohio, but then raised there and went to high school there. College was uh, college. Ithaca. College was Ithaca College. Yeah, a lot of people from Ithaca. I've I've seemed to run in a lot to a lot of people that are from Ithaca um, in the film industry now. I don't know if you had, are they, had are the they, same. Are they employed? <laughs> yes, employed people. Oh, oh. <laughs> they're doing something right that I didn't do. No, um, no, Ithaca. Yeah, there are actually. A, it's a huge. Um, I mean, I graduated. I'm going to give away my age. I graduated in '91. It's a huge film school. It's really expanded. I get newsletters all the time. Um, they've got a great program out here uh, through the Park School Communications. Uh, I think they actually are located right here in Burbank, actually. Really? Yeah, they do. It's a great opportunity. I mean, not the kind of stuff that we had when I was there. I had great opportunities when I was there. Don't get me wrong. Good school. But now the program that they have for, the, for people that come out here to do internships and come out here to do um, work assist programs, it's just Incredible. So they have actual people here in Los Angeles that they can connect with internships and, yeah. and that sort of thing. It was it was started when I was there. It was actually already in place, but it was more informal. There was a gentleman there by the name of Skip Landon who would set up internships, and that's actually how I got my start. Is I got an internship at Disney and was working at Buena Vista Pictures Distribution, which is no longer. Hopefully, not as a result of my being there, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did that. And I did that for a semester, my junior year in college, I took off and I did that. I got school credit for it. And then that summer I stuck around here in LA and they kept me on. They put me on payroll, which was nice. And then I went back to school, graduated, came back out and called them up again and got back in the, in those doors and worked for them for a while. That's the year that they dissolved. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do for them over there? I was like an entry level PA, you know, I went and got the sodas, got the Cokes, got the, you know. Uh, snacks, all that kind of stuff. But the really cool thing that they offered was they said this is, in terms of the internship, the paying job is something different, but the internship, they said, it's what you make of it. So they expected you to do some stuff for them, but it was like ask questions, you know, really get a sense of, you know, what goes on here by just talking to people. And that's one of the things I've kind of learned in Hollywood is that a huge part of Hollywood is is just talking to people, getting to know people, and, you know, 
Yeah. I, I think most of the people I've talked to have kind of gotten into into film the same way. I talked in the first podcast about how I kind of got into film, and it was very similar, you know, an entry-level PA job for a TV show. Exactly. And that's, I think, what a lot of people kind of do to get the connections to and experience, because that was the first time I had ever touched 35mm film coming out of college. I always worked in 16, and it was so exciting. Like, oh, there's a big 35mm frame yeah. to work with here. So that was the big benefit to the internship is that it was my first exposure to Hollywood. Um, and after that company, that division shut down, I learned about another opportunity over at, at an accounting firm, a local accounting firm. And again, it was all about contacts and who I knew. They knew I was looking for a job. They had an opportunity. So I was able to go over there. And over that facility, I had access to producers who were working on individual films for the studios that were using this accounting firm for their post-production. And as they would come through, I would just talk and chat. And I made it known to them that I wasn't real happy where I was there. Granted, it was an entry-level <laughs> position, and it was kind of cool to, to get a sense of the finance end of things, but I wanted to be more involved in the filmmaking aspect. So they kept that in the back of their mind, and when an opportunity opened up for yet another entry-level position <laughs> over at uh, over at Avenue Kerner, that was actually where I officially would say I got my real start. I spent a number of years over at Avenue Kerner where they actually make movies, and it was great. And I was working with the producer over there, kind of helping him out. And he uh, said there's an opportunity to work with either the director of a particular movie coming up or with the editing crew. And there was another gentleman there who I'm still friends with today, a good friend of mine, Johnny Tidwell, runs a site, uh, cartoonmogul.com. We had a choice. You know, One could work with the director and one could work with the editing. And he had seniority. There's such a thing as PA seniority. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had seniority. And uh, I said, you make, you make your choice what you want. So he worked with the director and I ended up working with the editing crew. And it turned out to be a pretty good thing. That's actually where we met. Yeah, actually, Abner Kerner. Well, before we met, what did you work on with Abner Kerner? Oh, uh, TV movie called For Their Own Good, Mighty Ducks 2. I was a PA on the set for that, which was pretty cool. That was kind of a rarity. I actually went on location in Minnesota uh, for that, me and Johnny. That was pretty cool. Um, gosh, what else did they develop there? All sorts of things. Oh, oh, The War. I was a PA the on war, The War. Which Debbie Neal Fisher cut, and we'll be talking to her uh probably next week, but uh, and we've both worked with Debbie for quite a while. Um, so yeah, Up Close and Personal was the first time we met right. at Abnett Kerner, and you were the PA. I was the PA, yep. I was in the cutting room, I was, but I was learning stuff. It was great. I mean, I could ask questions. I could, you know, like Patrick was there, and, and Karen, and Debbie, and I could just ask questions, and it was great. You know, it was a great learning environment, and it was really my first introduction to actual filmmaking, aside from the stuff I made in college. Now, editing, uh, is that the direction you really thought you'd go into? Because I know that you had an agent for writing at the time when I met you. No, that's actually the ironic thing is that as much as I enjoy editing, it wasn't the thing I was pursuing. It was an opportunity that came to me. You know, it was nice. It was great. And it's been really, really good. But no, I my passion has been writing. It's always been writing. And I did have an agent at the time. I wrote some Spec Seinfelds and Cheers and uh, Frasier and Mad About You. And I just blindly submitted them around town. And one of the places I submitted was William Morris. And they really, really responded well. And So you just sent a cold? Cold, cold call wow. and cold submissions. And I guess the writing was good enough that uh, they signed me. I, I didn't get any work. <laughs> you know, I, I was, you know, had to, they told me, they said, don't quit your day job. You know, <laughs> stay in editing. So I stayed in editing. But, you know, I went on some, some meetings and stuff. I met people around town. But, you know, it, I was still pretty young at the time. 
Um, and it was, you know, there's a learning curve, and I think that was a big, big part of it. It was just, it was uncharted waters again, you know. So how does writing compare to editing? I know people, a lot of people say that that editing is rewriting the script. Exactly. It's That's... it's story. It's all it's whether it's on paper, it's story. Whether it's in the cutting room, it's all about the story. Um, you know, rearranging scenes, tightening, pacing. Uh, it's a lot cheaper writing. <laughs> it's just paper and a printer. <laughs> Although now with with things like Final Cut Pro, the price of editing has really come down. That That's anyone true. can really do it. Um, and even with you know, Avid Express Pro has their cheaper version of the software as well. And there's student versions available for a couple hundred bucks. And there's really a lot of opportunity for for editing as well. That's true. That's true. But I think one of the mistakes people make uh, is they get so involved with learning the equipment, learning Final Cut Pro, learning uh, the editing equipment, making sure they know all that stuff in in and out, that they, you know, as students, they forget to learn the art of the story. Exactly. And that's really where every, all of editing lies, is creating, recreating that story in a way that, that tells it in the best light. Exactly. There's, there's a, you know, as you know, there's a million different ways to cut a scene or to cut or to write a scene even. And it all depends on what you're, end result is that you want what is the best emotion that you want to elicit in either the reader or in the audience <laughs> now with with editing also you get to meet all the players involved the uh, uh the directors the producers the writers a lot of the people that that make the creative decisions and i think you can learn a lot from those people if you if you really uh, open yourself up to that no i know everything <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's true. It's true. It, and again, it's all about just surrounding yourself. I mean, isn't there a cliche saying about surround yourself around people that, that really know their craft and, and you will shine and look good? That's, that's, that's why I stay friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, enough ass kissing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you worked on Mighty Ducks, you actually met someone who is a, a big guy in the podcasting arena now, Dan Class, who has, in case you haven't heard it, uh, The Bitterest Pill is a great show. I listen to it. He's a great storyteller, and he talks about his uh, his uh, life and his family life and his work life, and it's really funny. You should check it out at thebitterestpill.com. But you met him on, uh, I met briefly. Him on, yeah, briefly. It was, it was, yeah, it was my ducks, too. He was working in the uh, production office, and as was I, and, and I just remember, I guess one night after work, a bunch of us went out to a local coffee shop for stand-up comedy and, and either Dan did something or was encouraged to, but I just remember, I remember that. I just remember that night for some reason. He made an impression back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he a good guy. He doesn't know who I am or remember me, but he's got a memorable last name or a memorable personality, I'm sure. Yeah, so listen to Dan Class. He's a good guy. So I know a lot of the questions I get when people see my resume, uh, they see Austin Powers and they go, oh, Mike Myers, How, what was it like to work with him? And uh, I, I loved working with Mike. He's so funny and Having a lunch every day was really great because he would sit down and, at the lunch table and he'd have a new story every day that he would tell us, and it was a lot of fun. I have a funny Mike story. It's, yeah, what's that? Well, it's funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to anyone else, but I guess I was playing some Rush, you know, in the cutting room, and that's, I love that band. It's a huge band for me. And, you know, as you know, Mike is from Canada, so during a bathroom break, I'm in the bathroom, and he comes in, and, and we're just kind of standing there, and there's that awkward moment of, do you talk, do you not talk? And he decided to say something, but he said... You know, my brother went to high school with Getty Lee. <laughs> so, I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." So that was like my probably my first conversation with him. But, did he wash his hands when he left the bathroom? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> just just checking. Yeah. Another thing I remember from that show, Dave, is uh, 
Dan Class washes his hands. <laughs> Dan, there you go. Um, the other thing I remember about that that show is uh, David used to, you know, play practical jokes and things on me all the time. And I guess it's more of a practical joke gif that he did. But I don't know if you remember the oh, yes. the band <laughs> Nelson. Yeah. There were these two dudes that were uh, who are they? They're sons Ricky, of Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson's sons. They were like blonde, long haired dudes, and they were in the building we were working at. And actually, hold on a sec, Dave. Oh, you have it? <laughs> I brought the CD. I brought the CD. Wow. But Dave actually um, <laughs> saw them, and as a joke gift, he went and bought the Nelson CD and had them sign it for me. And it's it hilarious. It says, what does it say? Patrick, live your dreams. Live your dreams, Nelson. Are you living your dreams? I, I'm, I am living my dreams. Um, but uh, the other thing is funny. If you don't know Nelson and you watch the TV show um, Celebrity Fit Club... Gunnar Nelson's on it right now. I don't know if you know that, but he's on it. He got a little chub, really? chubbed out a little bit, yeah. and he and he's you know he's on the show. I, I happened to flip it on the other day, and uh, and uh, he looks so different. He looks so different from what he looked so like. Funny. Well, <laughs> I had to bring that. We always used to play practical jokes on each other. You bought the CD, and I happen to have Gunnar Nelson right here. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into the uh, the practical joke I played on Dave, uh, which was on Black Dog, where I, I made him think that he was getting audited by the IRS. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that it, worked. it worked. It wasn't too bad, though. It gave itself away at the end of the letter. No, yeah. What was that? You got a, you got a letter? I actually you? got an, a letter from the IRS, and they, they were – suppose apparently some monies didn't get on my uh, previous year – uh, statement. So I owed taxes, and they were sending me a letter telling me what I owed, and I just took the letter, scanned it, and retyped it up with Dave's info on it. And that's what it was. And yeah. said he owed like twenty thousand dollars or something I like that. Freaked. <laughs> <laughs> and actually used the same envelope, and uh, oh, yeah, it had the IRS and everything. It had, had the, IRS, the official IRS envelope, but, but I had it? already opened it. I had already opened it, so I thought, God, Dave's not gonna. Oh yeah. He's not. He's gonna. It's gonna know it's been opened. So I put it in another envelope and had had it taped to his door and. and Pretended like it was a neighbor that got the letter by mistake and That's says, right. Dave, uh, uh, sorry I opened it. I, I, I didn't know it was for you. Oh, man. I do remember <laughs> that. That was good. I've, I've, that's the second time. Well, that was the first time, but I've, only, I've had my taxes messed up another time. That's another great story, this actually. Is a, I just, this has nothing to do with editing, but this is just funny. This is just how things can happen. But I had done some work for Disney, and so I was in their database, I guess, and Dave Clark, the real Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five. I mean, I'm a Dave Clark too. I'm a real Dave Clark. Yeah, he's the one with talent. But anyway, <laughs> I guess they had licensed his music, and they didn't have any of his i nine info, so they just looked in their database and found mine and attached it to that. So about two years after the fact, I get a letter from the IRS saying I didn't claim like twenty grand of money, and I was, you know, it was a hassle. So, but yeah, basically I had to work all out. But I found out that it was the Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five. The Dave Clark Five. <laughs> we'll have to put some links to like Nelson and the Dave Clark Five in the in the blog. <laughs> <laughs> and if there way, maybe we can make some money off that. We can sell some, you know, that'd be nice. Sell some music from Nelson and Dave Clark Five. Yeah. I don't know if does anyone buy Nelson anymore. <laughs> I, apparently you. Oh, I bought it. <laughs> yeah, you bought that one. And I, and I have a Dave Clark Five CDs. It's great. I love it. Yeah, Dave Clark Five is a classic group. I, 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 I like them. Uh, so anyway, with uh, you also you you one of your produced uh, scri- scripts was for a series called Starship Troopers uh, Roughnecks. It was a cartoon, right? That's right. 
How did that all come about? How did you get that job? That was pretty cool, actually. That was, again, it was I was working at Avnet Kerner, and there was a guy over there, and his wife was, I guess, one of the story editors on that show. And he said that they were looking for some writers, and I had to submit some samples. So I gave, I, I brushed off the ones that got me the agent at William Morris, and, <laughs> and they read, they read the Seinfeld, I think, and the Cheers are mad about you, and and they really liked it, so they they gave me the job. So I got the assignment. So that's kind of cool, actually, that I, I I do have this DVD here that I can show my daughter someday that says. My name is the writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll have more of those as well. Dave's also got a script that he's uh, optioned off recently. I've had a couple of scripts. Yeah, I had a couple of features couple optioned. Of them, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're we're hoping that there's one going around town right now. I'm hoping something will happen with it. Yeah, we actually wrote a script together as well that uh, right. that got us an agent. That's right. And uh, my sec my second agent in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> well, we lost that agent because he left the business completely. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, one of the directors we work with, uh, Dennis Dugan, That's who right. was great, really funny guy, he uh, introduced us to this agent, Josh, right. and uh, he loved our script and, and signed us. And yep. we were literally a week away from going wide with it when the same – it was a high-concept comedy. I don't go into the details on it, but uh, it was a high-concept comedy. And a week before we went wide with it, the same exact idea sold to New Line for Ben Stiller. For right? Ben Stiller, yeah. And it still hasn't been made, so there's still, still a possibility made. that we could get our, our right. script out there, but uh, I don't know what the chances of that We're are. We're hanging on. Hanging on to hope. Now, you've had a couple things, again, uh, that were optioned. Can you tell us about what that, you know, what it is like to have a script optioned and, and what that means exactly? Yeah, it's, yeah, I had two scripts, two feature scripts optioned um, over the years, and basically that just means that a producer has taken the script and given me some money to basically own the rights to it for a set period of time to shop around town, you know, try to get a director attached, try to get a studio involved, or try to get another producer or an actor or an actress involved and make the project happen, get it off the ground. So for, for people that don't really know what goes on in an editing room, I thought we'd go through a, a little... Uh, Timeline, a little, a little workflow. Workflow of what goes on, and this is for a film that's being cut uh, on the Avid or on a Final Cut Pro system, and that is printing film. Now, this is happening less and less nowadays. Nowadays, uh, people are not printing film, and they're doing everything on the Avid. And when it comes time to preview for an audience, we're going into editing bays and conforming it on HD and projecting HD a lot of times, but. We still, on some films, do print film and cut film to match the cuts in the Avid and uh, and actually show an audience a film cut. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's um, like Patrick said, it's it's kind of being replaced with digital world, but um, it used to be the standard that they'd shoot on film. They still do shoot on film, but they're printing film. Uh, you pick it up in the morning, the day after it was shot, processed overnight from Deluxe or Technicolor, get it back in the cutting room, and... We would sometimes sync up the sound. The sound would get printed up on mag. Lately, though, I think the last two shows, maybe three shows, there's been magless dailies where we haven't had to deal with printing the, the sound onto mag. We just basically give the DAT or the DVD over to Telsony House, and they sync it up there. But we do have to give them a, a log of the film, and we have to build the film also, too. I mean, it comes to us in lab rolls. 
that a log, you actually sit down and write down the key numbers, exactly the lab rolls, camera, every, all the information for every single take, exactly on and a roll, everything basically. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Like Patrick, everything that's that needs to be that's going to come into play later on. We have to log it so everyone knows what what we're dealing with. Um, and it's twofold. We're preparing it for the avid, and we're also preparing it for dailies. Uh, on this last film, we were doing two roles, actually. We were doing a select role for the director so that he wouldn't have to watch all of his footage. He would watch one take of a, a representative shot of a setup, a camera setup. Um, so we're building two roles, a select role and a non-select role. All of that does get telecinated and all of that gets into the Avid. Um, and after it gets telecinated at the telecine house, they return the film back to us. We'll code it. We'll put it on the coding machine. And Patrick will get the... Or the uh, Avid file on tape or on a FireWire drive to work with in the in the Avids. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it'll be uh, if if the company can afford it, it'll be a digital uh, file. I'll get all the files already digitized into the Avid. I'll get just a drive with the files. I can copy over and start working right away. Other shows, I'll have to put the tape in and digitize from the tape. But uh, it's basically the same process. Yeah, and it repeats itself. It's that's dailies. I mean, that's the dailies process every day. You know, new day of shooting, new day of film. Go through that whole routine. It's a long day. It's a fun day. It's actually kind of fun. You kind of feel under the gun if you got to get the film shipped out that night back to the set, you know. Um, but after they wrap, it kind of cools down for a bit, and then we gear up for conforming. And that again is a lot of work, but it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, I'm gonna miss it kind of because I know film is kind of going by the wayside, and digital's replacing it. But digital's fun as well. But um, but yeah, you know, we'd have to conform and, and match back all of the film to the cuts that were done in the computer. And it's, uh, it's a long process, but it's really kind of fun to see it projected for the first time. I mean, it's 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 old school. Yeah, know? and you get to see a lot of stuff you don't normally see if you're just looking at the Avid, the lower resolution screen. Right. You don't see as much. But I know that with, with a lot of the editing systems now and HD coming into play, some shows are cutting completely on HD, so you can actually see a good quality uh, image while you're cutting, which is a whole new thing. Usually we're, we're used to seeing this kind of degraded avid or final cut pro you know image and not the full the full image you get you get to see on film yeah um so when you project it when you're working traditionally with the avid and you have these files that are usually we digitize at a 14 to 1 resolution what happens is you're not seeing all the image you conform the film you project it onto this big screen you go wow i didn't see that before and you notice all the stuff that maybe you didn't want people to see or maybe continuity wise doesn't match and you're seeing it for the first time on the big screen. That's right. So being that film is is kind of going away, now you're what's up for next for you? I'm tra- I'm actually transitioning. I'm I'm on a learning curve now. I'm I'm actually cutting a short film on Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro is new to me. It's um very new to me, but I'm having a grand old time. You know, I'm going through the, the tutorials, but I've got all the media and I'm working on this short film that's directed by a gentleman by the name of Brooks Tom and it's a it's a great great short. It's about twenty minutes long right now, but we're gonna tighten it up and get it out to some film festivals. But it's been it's been fun working with him and finding you know, finding the best takes and finding the best way to put it together to get the story told and, and learning Final Cut has not been over overly challenging. It's 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 very user friendly, um, but it's it's fun. It's really fun. 
was it a hard transition? I mean, is is it pretty intuitive as far as using Final Cut Pro for you, or is it? Yeah, is I mean, it... I'm getting back to my actual roots of, of aesthetics of filmmaking. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the dailies and I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, I need to I need to find a, a tight shot of this or that or a cutaway or something like that. And you know, the footage is there and and yeah, like I said, it's getting back to the basics of, of the aesthetics of filmmaking. It's not so much. Uh, I mean, learning the Final Cut Pro in terms of an application was one challenge, but terms of cutting it together creatively i mean that's that's just really really fun so this whole podcasting thing is new to me and i think it's really great there's so many podcasts i like um i there's so much information out there that's so easily accessible i love uh listening to the mac cast it's a great uh, podcast that uh, talks about macintosh products and software and tips and tricks it's a great one to listen to. Um, I also like Mostly Trivial with Johnny B. Uh, Johnny B is a friend of mine who used to live out here in the, in the Los Angeles area and moved to uh, Minnesota. And now he lives out there and does this uh, trivia podcast, which is really great. What, uh, what are some ones you I, like? I enjoy the ones on KCRW. The Elvis Mitchell does the treatment and the business is also on KCRW. I think those are great ones to listen to. Those are great to. interview shows yeah. as well. And if you want to you know, know more about uh, film production and film editing, another great one is... The Mac Pro podcast, and they do a video cast, and they talk a lot about Final Cut Pro and and editing and and tips and tricks, um, and they're a great one to go to as well. Well, I want to thank Dave Clark for being our first interview here at the FilmEditing.com podcast. Well, thank you. I, I had a good time. It was really fun and educational, and I I learned a lot. Just in the whole... <laughs> oh sure. Well, no, the, that I mean that, but the podcasting uh, world is new to me as well. So I think this is this is a pretty good exposure to me too, and I. I appreciate the opportunity. Do I get a mugger T-shirt as I leave? Yeah, I haven't quite gotten up to the scale of the Oscars yet, where I do the gift baskets. But oh. maybe we'll do a gift basket thing in the future. Great, or oh. maybe just a, a I'll check my mail. A little mustache comb with film <laughs> editing on it, or uh, maybe a maybe I'll start the filmediting.com condoms. But I don't have what? <laughs> I don't have a mustache. <laughs> okay, well that's about it for now for this uh, episode of the filmediting.com. Podcasts. If you have any questions, please email me at Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, at filmediting.com. You'll find the email address and links on the page as well. Uh, anything we talked about in the show, link-wise, I'll put some links on the blog page at uh, film, filmediting.com. You can check that out. Also, if you have a chance, go to, uh, go to the podcast page, and there's a couple things there you can look at. One is... I have a, a link to Frapper, which if you don't know what Frapper is, it's a little thing that's been set up that uh, gives a map of the world, and you can put a little pin on where you live so we can see where everybody listening to the show is from. I thought it was a new drink from Starbucks. Frapper, yeah, the Frappuccino. The Frappuccino. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, check out Frapper. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool site. Um, and please put your little pin in there. I don't have anybody on there yet because I just put it up. And then also... Uh, Podcast Alley. There's a link there to Podcast Alley, and everybody in the podcast world knows that uh, Podcast Alley is like the place to go to like vote for your favorite podcast, and it really helps to be up on the list and get more people listening to you. I'd like to know what you think of the show. If I'm if I'm getting too specific uh, on certain things, or uh, or not specific enough, please was, let us know. Was Dave boring? <laughs> <laughs> was I boring? I'm sure I probably was. <laughs> um, but uh, please uh, give us your input. We'd love to hear from you. Did we avoid the iceberg? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think we pretty much hit it straight on, I think, is what happened in the show. Uh, next week, we'll be talking to Deborah Neil Fisher. Now, Deborah, again, you'll see some uh, very, uh, you'll see some similarities between the credits between all of us. 
Debbie uh, has cut films like Austin Powers, the first two Austin Powers, uh, Fry Green Tomatoes, The War. And again, for clarity's sake, she hired us. We didn't hire her. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yes, check that out. Please, uh, if you have any questions for her you'd like to... uh, get in the show, please email them to me at patrick at filmediting.com or if you're savvy enough to have a little microphone and want to uh, record a question, you can email it to me there as well and we'll put you on the show asking the question. Thanks so much and we'll talk to you soon.